If you have a Bible, if you will turn to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22, and I'll meet you there in just a second. Uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning, and we have been, man, for the past eight weeks, I've just been, I hope you feel the same way. I've just been so blessed by the different people filling this pulpit and and bringing God's word to us. I think those messages have been timely. I think they've been God speaking to our church uh, and I've been so challenged and so encouraged all at the same time. And I, I hope you feel the same way. Um, we've been hearing a lot about the church and the purpose of the church and why we're here. And that's, that's needed for us right now. Uh, but today I want to talk to you individually. Uh, what we're going to talk about, of course, there are ramifications for our church. But I believe as individuals, if we apply what we're going to talk about to our lives individually, then our church will, will feel the impact of that. So I'm not really concerned about... Our church today being connection point, I'm just, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about me. I'm concerned about our vision, our relationship, our desire to follow Jesus the best we can every day. Okay? So Mark chapter 8, let's read this first and then we will jump in. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Here's what it says. And they came to Bethsaida, they being Jesus and the disciples. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I want to talk to you today about having 20-20 vision. Uh, It is September of 2019, we're coming close to the year 2020, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, are we seeing things clearly? Now, I think if you take today and apply it to the year 2020, I think you'll have a fantastic year following Jesus. But I want to talk about today, 2020 vision, are we seeing Jesus clearly? Are we seeing what he wants for us clearly? All right. Three different people today have said to me, hey, I'm so glad that you brought out your best shirt for the day that you decided to preach. And I, it, it, this probably is my nicest shirt, and that's, that's probably true. Um, it is September 1st, which marks the last day, or the, the, the first day of the last month of the royal season. Unfortunately, we've all been here before. We know what this feels like. Um, but I'm not talking so much today about the front of the jersey. I want to talk more about what's on the back of my jersey today. Mr. Whitmerfield, number 15. Any Whitmerfield fans? Okay, good. Just checking. Just checking. Um, if you're not familiar with Witt's story, he has quite the story, quite the journey uh, making his way to the Kansas City Royals. So Witt was drafted by the Royals, but then he went to play college baseball at South Carolina. A lot of players do this. But typically when a player finishes college ball, they're usually pretty close to being called up because they've had the experience that they're usually pretty close to being called up to the major league level. But that was not Witt's story. Witt would spend six more years in the minor leagues before being called up to the Royals. Actually, in the year 2015, Witt had one of the worst seasons, at least for him personally, that he's ever experienced. Uh, in that year, Witt was placed in what's called the Rule 5 draft. The Rule 5 draft in baseball is basically when all the teams can look at their players and say, hey, if there's a couple of players that we just don't think are going to make it, we just don't think they're going to make it to the big league level, we can put them in this draft and let all the other teams purchase him for a low price, purchase his contract, and take him if they see potential. Because if not, then we're probably going to, we're going to release this guy anyway. So in 2015, Witt was placed in the Rule 5 draft. And all of the other Major League Baseball teams in the league passed on Whit Merrifield that year. That is to say, no Major League organization saw the value in Whit Merrifield that we see in him today. 
Also in 2015, Witt actually got a call. The Royals actually called Witt up. He was actually in the middle of a minor league game. His manager pulled him out and said, hey, you're going to Kansas City tonight. Go shower, go get packed. So Witt did that. And before he got on the plane, his manager said, hey, actually, they changed their mind. They're going to call up a pitcher instead. So sorry, but you're not going anywhere. It's not your time yet. It would be that offseason that Witt would be close to giving up. He was, he was at his wit's end, if you will. And, uh, ah, cheesy, I'm sorry. It'll get better, I promise. Um, that offseason, he, he was done. He was ready to call it quits. He would actually call up his father. Now, his father was his coach growing up. When Witt was 12 years old, his father put Witt on the bench because he didn't see his son as one of the best nine players on the team either. His father also played minor league baseball for six years but never got called up. So Witt would call his dad and say, Dad, I'm done. I quit. Clearly nobody, not one single team sees value in me as a player, so I'm done. I'll go, I'll go do something else. His dad would say, son, I want you to take a minute and look at how far you've come. You're only focused on the steps you've yet to take, but look at how far you have come in your life and in your career. He said, if you take your cleats off now, you'll never put them back on, you'll never make it. So think for a minute before you decide to quit. So it was in the offseason of of 2015 where Witt would take a step back and evaluate his game. He knew that he was fast. He knew he was a good defender. He knew he was a good hitter. But he lacked in one category, and that was his power numbers. He was a small guy. He still is one of the smaller guys in the league. But he would take that offseason and he would change his diet, change his workout regimen, put on about 20 pounds of muscle. He came back in spring training of 2016. His power numbers shot up. And in May of 2016, he got called up to Kansas City. Keep in mind, the Royals had just won the World Series the year before. So he was that close to being a part of something that very few people experience, and he missed it by just that much. But in 2016, he got his chance. And in that first game, his first at bat, he was facing the reigning Cy Young winning pitcher, the best pitcher from the year before, and he got a base hit in his first at bat. And ever since then, Witt has been tearing it up. If you ask players and managers today, they are all racking their brains, trying to figure out how they missed this guy. How did we not see this? He led the league last year in base hits and stolen bases. He made the all-star team this year. He signed a big fat contract with the Royals, so he's ours for a long time. And now he is one of the best players in the league. And so my question for us today as a church, as individuals following Jesus, is this. How much is your life and your purpose following Jesus worth to you? See, I believe Jesus wants something from every single one of us in the room today. I don't know all of you that well. I don't need to know you that well. Our Father does know you, and I believe Jesus wants something from you and for you. If you're a believer in here today, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, I know that Jesus wants something for you and from you. That's part of the journey following Jesus, is getting better, following Jesus better every single day. If you're not a Jesus follower in here today, first of all, I'm really excited that you're here. I'm very glad that you're here. I know what Jesus wants from you, and that's to simply meet you for the first time. He wants you to put your faith in him today for the very first time. That's all he wants to begin with. And so wherever you land today, Jesus wants something for you and something from you. So how much is, how much is that worth to you? For Wit, he didn't let anything stop him. The adversity, the steps he still had to take to get better. He was able to look and say, what do I need to do to get to where I feel like I'm supposed to be. And so today, church, are you willing to look at your life following Jesus and say, how far have I come, but what does God want me to work on next? If God were to call you today and say, hey, I have something bigger for you. 
I have something better for you. And not better in the way we think about better. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. From God's perspective, if he has something more for you, are you willing to step up and do that? Are you even waiting for the phone call? So, as we study this today, I'm hoping to bring some light to that. So Mark chapter 8, this story falls at a very significant time in Mark's gospel. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of the four, Mark is the shortest. Uh, when Mark writes, he is very cut and dry, very to the point. He doesn't use a lot of colorful language like John might. If you want the, the, the shortest, most compact story of Jesus, Mark is your guy, okay? Now Mark is actually Peter's account of following Jesus. Mark was not a disciple. Mark simply sat down and wrote down what Peter experienced following Jesus. So in this story, the, the, the miracle that we just read happens at a very significant time. And it has a lot of symbolic significance, okay? So before this miracle happens, Jesus would have a conversation with his disciples and he kind of calls them out. Jesus does this a lot, okay? We can relate to the disciples in a lot of ways. But Jesus has just performed a bunch of really big extravagant miracles. The feeding of 5,000, feeding of 4,000, a bunch of healings. And he'll come to his disciples and he'll say, guys, do you not yet understand he says, do you not have eyes to see or ears to hear? Because the disciples are not quite seeing fully what Jesus was all about and what his real purpose was. But then following this miracle, he'll come back to his disciples and say, hey guys, listen, you guys kind of have your ears to the ground. What are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And they'll respond and they'll say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say some other prophet. He says, okay, you guys have been with me every day. You boneheads have seen everything I've done, so who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, would speak up and say, well, you are, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are you're the king. You're the, the warrior king we've been waiting for that will deliver us and bring us to power once again. Immediately following this, Jesus would tell his disciples, hey, guys, that is true, but it's not time for that yet. First, before any of that happens, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to offer my life as a sacrifice for the world. And Peter would stand up and rebuke Jesus. And he would say, Jesus, no, that's not, that's not what the Messiah came for. And Jesus would literally say, get behind me, Satan. You are not seeing fully why I came. You only have part of it correct, but you're missing Possibly the most significant part, the fact that I came to give my life before I usher in any sort of new kingdom. So this miracle today, there's a lot going on and it's at a very significant point. This miracle is important for the man being healed, but it's even more important for Jesus' disciples and his followers following him today. That's, that's us. So let's jump in. Mark chapter 8, if you have your sermon notes, you have your notes with you, pull them out, wave them in the air. That way I can know you're still awake and that you got your notes. Okay, good. Fan your neighbor. It's a little warm in here. Uh, listen, I know many of you have been like having withdrawals without your filling the blank points. So I took care of you today. You can thank me later, okay? Point number one is this. The first thing we see is a desperate plea. We see a desperate plea. Jesus and his disciples roll into Bethsaida and we have these group of people and they bring their friend who is blind and they say, Jesus, please heal our friend. They beg Jesus to heal their friend. And so the first thing, we don't know much about these people, but we do know this. They have compassion on their friend who has no sight. They know that they are experiencing something in life that this friend has never experienced. They're living life in a way that they are designed to live and their friend is, is missing something. So they have, they have compassion on their friend who has no sight. So they know that Jesus might be able to heal this guy. So they beg Jesus to heal this man. 
When's the last time you begged anybody to come to Jesus? When is the last time you were so moved? And I'm preaching to myself today, just, just so y'all know. I like, I see you, but I'm, I'm thinking about me when I say all this. When is the last time you begged, you were so moved by compassion for somebody that you begged them to have an encounter with Jesus? And when is the last time you begged Jesus to heal somebody? See, we don't beg a lot today. Begging, begging makes us look weak, makes us look desperate, but church, that's exactly what we need. We need people who are desperate for other people to encounter Jesus. Because we know that Time is not getting longer. Time is getting shorter. We're running out of time. And so we need to be desperate that people would encounter Jesus. But the other thing these people had was they had confidence that Jesus would actually heal this man. Now, Jesus didn't heal every person that he came in contact with, but they knew that Jesus was this man's best shot. So they said, hey, let's, let's go all in. Let's go all in. Why wouldn't we? Let's take this man who has no sight. Let's bring him to Jesus and let's just beg. Because this is his only chance. Let's beg him to be healed. Church, I believe that if we are people that have confidence in Jesus and compassion for the people around us, that is the formula that can change anything. That can change everything. That can change the culture of this church. That can change the culture of our city. That can change our world. It's changed our world before. And if it's going to change again, I believe that is where it has to start. I will never forget the first time that I ever experienced Chick-fil-A. Now, I, I apologize for bringing up Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, um, but it is what it is. So, but the first time I ever experienced Chick-fil-A, I was on a mission trip in New Orleans. I was in high school, and uh, we were at a work site one day, and I remember somebody bringing these bags of chicken sandwiches. Uh, and I looked at the bag, I said, what's a Chick-fil-A? Like, I've no idea, I've never heard of this. What is this thing? And one of our leaders said, you, you've never had this or even heard of this? I said, no, I, it, it must be a Southern thing. It hasn't made it up to the Midwest yet. And and so I remember she was like, you're going you to love this. Like, I don't usually try things that I don't know much about, but she said, you, you have to try this sandwich. And so I'll never forget when I took my first bite and my thought was this, there's pickles on this thing. <laughs> and, and so I, I spit that out. I took the pickles off and then I took another bite and, and my life has never been the same since. In fact, when, we, when people went back to work, I remember, and this is a true story, I took two more sandwiches because I was like, if I'm never going to get this again, I need all that I can get right now. But now, if I meet somebody that's never experienced Chick-fil-A, what? I, I have compassion on them because they've never experienced it. And I have confidence that they're going to love it, that their life is going to be changed. And man, that, that's such a poor example of what I'm talking about, but, but that resonates, doesn't it? We should have confidence that Jesus will encounter people. We should have compassion on people who've never experienced him. Confidence and compassion. And so point number two, we see a divine touch. A divine touch. I'm going to take a drink because my mouth is dry. Did you hear that? Yeah, is that gross? Some, like students hate when I take drinks with a microphone. But I don't care. So... We see a divine touch, okay? So Jesus takes this man by the hand and leads him away from the village. And this is a big deal. Jesus takes him away from the village. Jesus has just performed a lot of miracles with big crowds, but don't miss this, church. Jesus isn't trying to put on a show here. Jesus is not concerned about the show. He's concerned about this person being healed. And man, I hope our priorities are in the same spot. He takes this man away from the village, away from what is comfortable for him, and then he does something that I, I don't, listen, I, I'm not the 
I'm not the brightest crown in the box. I know a lot of people in here have been studying the Bible a lot longer than I have, but I'm convinced that Jesus did not need to spit in this guy's face in order for him to be healed. I don't think he, like, the, the, the God who spoke the world into existence, he didn't need to spit on this dude in order to heal him. And so I don't know why he did this. I think Jesus maybe just had a sense of humor. He was trying to make it more realistic, trying to see if his disciples would go do the same thing. I have no idea. But regardless, he, he, he spits in his hand and then, like, smacks this guy right in the eyes, okay? And then he asks him a question that's very important. And we need to take note of the question that Jesus asks him. He says, do you see anything? Tell me what you see. And this man would respond with a strange answer. He says, well, I see, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Now, if you're like me, when I read a story like this, I, I begin to ask a couple questions. But the skeptical side of me begins to rise up. And I, I say, okay, so why? Why did he spit in his eyes? Why is the man not seeing clearly? Like, did Jesus mess up? Did he, like, only get one eye and miss the other one? Like, why, why did this not work the, the first time? And the last question is, how does this guy know what a tree looks like? We don't know if he's been blind his whole life. I'm assuming that he has. How does he know what trees look like? But can I, can I press pause for a second before we get to those questions? And really, I was convicted of this myself as I was studying this this week. Oftentimes, we jump to our questions and our concerns when we're looking at other people and their process of being healed, and we skip over what I think is the most important part of this man's response. Jesus says, do you see anything? And the man says what? I see. I see. If we are so focused on our concerns about other people and how they're not where they should be, we will miss the part where we can celebrate the fact that first he could not see, and now he can. He says, I see. Church, could we be people that celebrate every single step that is taken? Every single step that is taken by you in your relationship following Jesus, every single step that's taken by somebody else, whether you have compassion on that person or not, the fact is, if they're one step closer to Jesus today than they were yesterday, our God is celebrating, and we should be celebrating right along with them. Amen. Celebrate every single step, amen, that is taken. And so if you're like me and sometimes you struggle with that, here's, here's what I think we need to challenge ourselves to consider. We need to remember what it feels like to be lost and not have a relationship with Jesus. For some of us, we've been following Jesus a long time. And we don't really remember what it's like. We can't really fathom what it's like to not have Jesus in our lives. Kind of like I can't fathom what it's like to be blind. But a blind person can't fathom what it's like to see. And so if we could take a step back and try to like have compassion on these people, have empathy for someone who does not know Jesus, place ourselves in their world, their worldview, see God the way that they see God, then it becomes really easy to celebrate every step that they'll take. So this man says, I see. But we have to acknowledge the fact that for some reason this, this, this miracle, he's not, his vision is not all the way there yet. And so Jesus will, will touch him again. And the Bible says in verse... In verse 25, again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Uh, this word clearly translates to mean clearly at a distance, meaning that his vision is completely healed. It is completely restored. He has 20-20 vision, finally, finally. 
So this man had a choice after Jesus asked him the question, do you see anything? He could have been very excited, and I'm sure he was excited, wouldn't you be? He was probably excited about the fact that he could see a little bit, and I think a lot of believers who follow Jesus, they get excited about the steps they've taken, and they become content, and then they don't wait for the rest of the healing to happen. I think a lot of Jesus followers today have become content being halfway healed. We've become content and comfortable being halfway or part of the way along the process of where Jesus really wants us to be. Now, uh, here, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about matters of salvation here today. I believe when you first encounter Jesus and your life is changed, that cannot be reversed. Uh, the, the book of John says that if anyone belongs to the Father, no one can snatch him out of the Father's hand. So I'm not talking about you going back on your salvation. I'm just reminding us that when you put your trust in Jesus, that's not a finish line, that's a starting point. And that's really where the journey begins. And so I think a lot of Christians today, myself included, we, we get comfortable, we get content, and sometimes we just sit down and, and take the cleats off, if you will, and take a day off or a season off or years off from really following Jesus every day. And so if we're going to be people who are all in really following Jesus, we cannot become content being halfway healed. Let, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Those of you who wear glasses or you wear contacts, okay, I wear glasses. Uh, I just got these glasses a few months ago. And what happened was this. I went and got my prescription updated. And when I put these glasses on, you can ask my wife, I thought something was wrong because it was blurry. I kind of had a headache. Things were distorted at a distance and I, I couldn't see. I was convinced that they gave me the wrong prescription completely. But this is normal. If you ask your doctor and say, hey, I think this is wrong, your doctor will tell you, give it a couple days. Your eyes need to adjust, okay? And surely enough, after a few days, my eyes adjusted, and now everything is fine. I can read the teleprompter. I can see you all way in the back. Hey, everybody, I'm glad you're here today. I can see just fine now. What happens is your eyes, when the bar is raised, and they're introduced to a new way of seeing the world, your eyes tell your brain that something is off because it's new and it's uncomfortable, so anytime the bar is raised, and this is just a principle of life, anytime the bar is raised, there's tension, and we're not comfortable. And, we, and our flesh tells our brain that, hey, this is not right, this is off, you better stay back where it's, where it's comfortable. But if you give it time, and if you adjust, and if you trust the process, you begin to see that this new level of living, this new prescription, if you, if you will, is perfect, better than you've ever experienced. And if you put your old glasses back on, what happens? It's blurry, it's bad, and you're like, okay, yeah, this was, this was not good at all. I was just, I got used to it. And so church, I challenge us today, let's not get too comfortable following Jesus with blurred vision and thinking that we're seeing things clearly. Because I've been there. I'm working through it right now. But this leads us to point number three. We have a direct order. In verse 26, Jesus says to the man, go back home, but don't even enter the village. Don't go back through the village. Translation, don't go back. Why would you go back? So again, if we, if we put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals of this, of this blind man, uh, think about being blind in that day. A person who is completely blind would not have been able to really navigate life very well on their own. This man probably went to the same spot every day, the same corner of the village, probably close to where he lived, if he had a home at all. He probably begged because he probably could not work for, work for himself. So he was very comfortable with his normal, usual, everyday spot. The same smells, the same sounds, the same voices he would hear. And Jesus says, hey, you are now seeing in 2020 vision, so don't go back. Why would you? He says, hey, why don't you take the scenic route home? Because you can. You'll be amazed at all there is to see 
now that you have clear vision, you'd be amazed at what a tree really looks like. You'd be amazed at what depth looks like and width and mountains and animals and the desert and, and, all, and all these things I've created. You'll be amazed at what life is like now that you are seeing clearly. So why, why would you ever go back? But that's the temptation, isn't it? When we're, when we're introduced to something new or something better, something more, and it's uncomfortable, a lot of times we are tempted to just go back to what we're familiar with. And Jesus is saying, hey, I, I've, I've healed you. I have more for you. I want more from you. So why would you ever go back? Don't ever go back. In church world today, I think this is such a funny, such a funny thing. There are organizations that will help churches with statistics and measuring things and stuff like that. They use a term for people who come to church often. They call them regular attenders. Someone who's a regular attender, according to these organizations, uh, they attend 50% of the time, and they're considered a regular attender. And when I hear that, I think to myself, there are very few things in life where 50% is good enough. Very few things in life. Wit, if he bats 500, that's really good, okay? But there's not many other things in life where 50% is good. When I was in school, 50% was an F. 50% attendance means you're doing this great over again. Now, I'm not saying that you being here in church is all that Jesus is asking of you. This is just an example. But I do believe that in ways the church is, is lowering the bar. We're settling. We're settling for less than what Jesus wants for us and wants from us. And I know this to be true because... God doesn't do anything halfway. When God was creating, he didn't do anything halfway. He went above and beyond. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't do anything halfway. He came and gave his life completely. Jesus came at the time in history when it was, when the, the, the empire of Rome, they were the best we've ever seen at torturing people and killing people. And that's when Jesus chose to come and give his life. Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. And when he's, when he's focused on you, he goes all in for you. And so church, why would we settle for anything less when it comes to following Jesus? And so what I want to do as we apply this today and wrap this up is, is just talk about our all-in game plan for following Jesus every day. Every day. Jesus said, if you will follow me, you will deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. So how can we do that? The first thing, we have compassion for people to experience Jesus. We look at the people around us and say, are they experiencing, experiencing Jesus the way that I am? And if not, are you willing to beg somebody? Are you willing to look desperate because you have so much compassion for them? We should have confidence in the power of Jesus. Not the idea of Jesus, but in the name and the healing power of the Spirit of God that is with us today everywhere we go. Confidence in the power of Jesus. We should celebrate each step of faith. Every step you've ever taken following Jesus and every step that anybody around you takes, we should be people who... Celebrate. Celebration is contagious, and what gets celebrated gets repeated. So can we celebrate every single step of faith that is taken? And lastly, we never be content with halfway. Never be content with halfway. And so your bottom line for today, the main thing I want you to take away from this is this. Celebrate and never settle. Celebrate but never settle. It's a both and. It's a dance of, of balancing both. Thankfully, you don't have to do this alone. That was never the, the arrangement. Jesus has already done the hard part. All we do is we follow him every day. So we celebrate every step, but we never settle for less than what God wants for us or from us.
I want to wrap up with this, this illustration. This is an illustration that I love to use that I think um, will help bring us some perspective about the way God sees us and what God really wants from us today. So I have a daughter. She is two years old. Her name is Kennedy Grace. Uh, we call her Kenny G. And it has been a joy. It has been, it has been a joy to watch her grow, to watch her literally begin to take steps as she matures. I'll come home from work and she'll do something that I've never heard her do before. She'll like count to 20 and I'm like, I don't even know how, like where did that come from? It's, it's amazing. As I watched her grow up, if, if you're a parent, if you've been through this, you understand what I'm talking about. Things start to get real when your child gets mobile, right? It used to be that I could plop her in the living room. I could go run a couple errands and come back and she'd still be there. It was wonderful. But now, once she started crawling, then we had to like safety-proof the house. We had to tie the furniture to the walls and all this stuff. But then the day comes when baby crawls up to the, to the coffee table and, and, and pulls himself up, right? And they begin to like strengthen their, and they bounce and they strengthen their leg muscles and their core. And you know that it's about to get real. So as parents, we, we take our phones and we holster them to our leg and we put the GoPro on and we take a month off work because we are not going to miss these first steps, right? And then the day happens where, where they, they pull themselves up to the coffee table and they let go and they begin to wobble. And they realize that their melon-sized head is so much bigger than their skinny body and they're like, this, is, this could get bad. And so they're faced with two choices. Either put a foot out and catch yourself or die, right? That's pretty much your two choices. And so I remember when, when Kennedy pulled herself up, pulled herself up, and she went step step, step, fall, and my wife and I lost our ever-loving minds. It was embarrassing, and we have it on video. I don't have it today, but we have it on video of just how excited we got and how totally just ridiculous we were because we were so excited because she what? She walked, right? And so then we pick her up and we sit on the floor. We sit on the floor across from each other and we do this. We say, come on, come to daddy. And she'll like come, but really at this point, we're just kind of throwing her back and forth, right? She's not really walking anymore. She just thinks it's fun. But we set her up and we say, come on, keep going, keep going. And what happens is, as they're walking, every now and then they what? They fall. But that's part of it. That's part of the process, right? And so a daddy will, will catch them when they fall sometimes. Or if they fall and hurt themselves, they'll pick them up and kiss and say it's okay. Plop them down and say, try again, right? You know what I've never seen happen? I have a lot of friends who are in this, this, this same season of life. I've never seen this happen. When baby pulls himself up and gets ready to walk and daddy's watching, I've never seen baby go step, 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 fall, and daddy go, kid's an idiot. <laughs> Must be broken, right? Babe, this must be on you. This must be part of your genetic code because in my family, we walk. We don't fall. I've never seen daddy do that. Why? Because daddies always rejoice in the steps. From a daddy's perspective, from a good father's perspective, that baby is walking. That baby's not falling. That baby's walking. Yes, baby trips and falls. Yes, as they begin to take more steps, they fall more often. Sometimes they fall down the stairs, right? And then they go outside and they begin to run and they trip and fall and scrape their knee. And then they begin riding a bike and they fall or they skateboard and they fall. They get older and they play sports and they fall, they get hurt. But good daddies, good fathers always rejoice in the steps. Church, if we celebrate each step but never settle, I believe, I believe that's how our good father sees us today.
whether you've been following Jesus a long, long time and you've taken a lot of steps following him or you just began following Jesus yesterday. When he sees you, he sees you walking and he is celebrating every step that you're taking. And so could we be people that celebrate every step but we never settle? We know that Jesus went all in for us, so why would we, why would we settle for anything less than that? God wants something from you today. He wants something for you. And my prayer is that you respond to that and say, God, listen, I'm ready to go all in. Whatever that means, I'm ready to take a step today so I'm one step closer to you today than I was yesterday. What I'd like to do now is, is just simply pray for us. And, and wherever you land with that, whatever you feel like your next step is, I pray that you would do that. If you're not sure what it is, I encourage you to come and pray and say, God, I'm listening. Will you show me what is next? I'm ready for that phone call if you've got something more for me. If you're in here today and you've never, ever put your life in Jesus, man, I would love for September 1st, 2019, the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, to be the day that you take that first step following Jesus. That's the first thing Jesus wants. It's the first thing we want. And man, I promise you, we will celebrate with you if that's the decision you want to make today. So as I pray, will you just pray whatever's on your heart and let's respond as the band comes up and begins to play. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for your word, for showing us who you are, for showing us your purpose, for showing us how you, how you feel about us. God, thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that when you look at me and you see all the mistakes I make, how close I am to failing every single day, God, that you rejoice in the steps and you're there to catch me when I fall. You're there to help me take the next step. And so God, for everybody listening today, wherever we are, God, you were looking at us and you're so proud. You're so proud of the steps we've taken, but God, you're also like, man, I got so much more for you if you'll just ask me. So God, would we be people that desire to follow you better every single day? And whatever that next step of faith is, God, would you give us the courage to do it? It's gonna be uncomfortable. It might be challenging, it might be scary, but God, we know that you're there for us. We know that you're worth it. And God, if we don't take this step, I'm afraid we will regret it for a long, long time. If there's anybody that needs to put their trust in Jesus today, I hope they will just pray this to you. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for I've sinned. Come into my heart, save me, change me, I give you my life. If that's you today, I encourage you to come down and learn this song, talk to a counselor or a pastor, go back to the Connect Center when you're done, tell somebody you made that decision so we can help you and celebrate with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship together.